welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime, and I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and we are back after a summer hiatus. Took the months of uh, June, July, and August off. My wife, Christy, is a teacher, and she has summers off, and if you know any good teachers out there, you know they deserve their summers off. So I wanted to spend more time with my wife over the summer, and we had a great summer. I hope you did too, and now we're back. And we're going to start off uh, this this second season of Wrong Place, Right Crime with our first Swedish author, Asa Marie Bradley, a friend of mine and a tremendous writer uh, who does not write traditionally in the crime fiction world, but there's a lot of tendrils of who she is and what she writes and what she's going to be writing that really uh, get into crime fiction. So I think you'll see why I had her on the show. But first, uh, let's uh, hear from the sponsor of Wrong Place, Right Crime. Um, that is Down and Out Books, and uh, the chief editor, Eric Campbell, uh, is here to tell us what's going on in uh, the month of September. Hi, Frank. This is Eric Campbell with Down and Out Books for, with a couple of new titles for your listeners. Let me ask you a question, Frank. Do you like Lou Reed? Well, how about an anthology written by a great group of crime fiction guys and gals based on Lou Reed's songs? We're proudly publishing Dirty Boulevard uh, in September with the proceeds going to National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Also coming out this month, we're dropping Mental State, written by M. Todd Henderson. This fantastic thriller centers on the murder of a renowned law school professor with ties to the Supreme Court. And it's also about things people will do when they're convinced that they are right. Your listeners can find out more from downandoutbooks.com. And uh, thanks a million for having me on the show. Thanks, Eric. I, I have, I'm a broken record, folks. I say it every month. But I have to tell you, being a, an author with Down and Out Books, uh, surrounded by a bunch of other incredibly talented and cool writers, is, is, is a pretty good place to be. It's a great publisher, really making strides. And if you like your crime fiction, dark and gritty and varied, then Down and Out Books is the publisher for you. Uh, well, now let's turn to our interview with Asa Marie Bradley. Uh, as I mentioned before, Asa is a good friend of mine. Uh, she primarily writes in the paranormal romance uh, genre, but uh, as you'll see, there's a lot of uh, things that connect her to the crime fiction world. Let's, uh, let's let Asa tell us about Asa. Well, hello, Asa. Hello, Frank. Welcome to the show. I'm glad that uh, we're finally able to get, get it done. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. So uh, I, I definitely want to talk about your, uh, your flagship series, your award-nominated uh, series, but uh, I, I really kind of want to start with a question that probably a few people listening are having, and that is, uh, why is Awesome Marie Bradley on a crime fiction podcast? Uh, why are you on my podcast? What are you doing here? Uh, well, you invited me, so of course I have to be on the podcast. Um we're like su such old friends that we can uh, track our meeting back to when borders were still around. Which is <laughs> That's right. It's going to be dating us pretty soon. Oh, my but. God. <laughs> and they were but, churning uh, out books from the Gutenberg Press in the back room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but crime fiction, um, I, I don't know. I think that any genre fiction, they kind of like bleed into each other a little bit, right? Like I feel like I have suspense and action and things mm -hmm. in my, uh, in my romance novels. Um, I just, I just really like, um, your series. I've been reading your, um, river city series for a long time. Um, and some of your other books as well. So I guess that's why I'm on the podcast. Well, and, and we've had conversations in the past that, uh, from a, cultural standpoint you're really predisposed towards uh digging crime oh fiction. yeah yeah i mean i think uh since i grew up in sweden and uh, uh all of scandinavia is always um you know crime fiction is like the driving popular fiction in sweden it's something that i grew up reading without knowing that you know that, that this was this sort of like niche genre because it's so prolific and so prevalent um everywhere in sweden i think those long Scandinavian winter bleak nights, uh, you know, go for really good angsty crime. <laughs> well, and the rest of the world has been discovering 
Scandinavian crime fiction over the past yeah, yeah. decade or so. So yeah, and I think that um, you know the 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 couple that really sort of uh, invented the the Scandinavian noir, um, you know, was a husband and wife team, and because it being both a woman and a man writing together, I think that one of the reasons why I liked reading it so much was because um, there have always been really strong female writers with really strong female protagonists in uh, crime fiction in Sweden. And also actually one of my favorite writers is from um, Norway, Anna Holt. So um, yeah, so it's just a genre that I felt really comfortable reading because I could see, you know, myself, not myself as a crime fighter or anything, but I think it's important that you have representation in literature. And it just so happened that, you know, I got to read very strong female protagonists from a young age. And that tradition really continued in the more modern. uh, Yeah. I think there's still, you know, I I think you still see the, that it's predominantly a male field, but you, you have actually, there's a, a woman who writes who has my maiden name is Larson and Elsa Larson. Um, she writes, uh, incredibly amazing crime fiction. She's just starting getting translated into, I think she's been in the UK for a while, but her books are starting to come over here. Um, and then there's another woman named uh, Camilla Leckberg, who has been writing for a long time. Those are two really strong writers right now. And I think when I hear them speaking on panels or in interviews and things, that it's definitely a very male-oriented industry still, but that the women are starting to come forward more and more and have been doing so in probably the last decade. Yeah, I think you're right about the the mystery genre in general. It, it is predominantly male, although there's a healthy minority of female writers. And then the genre that you write in primarily right now, the romance genre is almost the reverse, right? Yeah, I think we're uh, we're starting to see more, like when I go to conferences and things, I'm starting to see more guys attending conferences but i would say that it's still 98 percent women i mean and then that's one of the like it's a, a genre with women writing for women and there's some derisiveness that comes with that where uh you know some condensation from maybe other genres that always happens when there's women do something for women but it's i think it's healthy that we're starting to see more men coming into that as well You've had an interesting uh, journey to where you're at right now, and and uh, you know really quickly, kind of like to re- recount that for people who are listening. Born in Sweden, right. and you came over to the U.S. as an exchange student in your teens. Yeah, I ended up in uh, Texas, which was a huge culture shock. I was. Uh, it is for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was very much, very much the seventeen-year-old that had figured out the world and knew how everything worked. I was like card carrying Greenpeace member and Amnesty International and ended up in a uh, conservative family where the, oh, I was vegetarian as well. And uh, ended up in a conservative family where the uh, husband was an avid hunter and I loved it. I loved the family. Uh, They have become my family. Um, I ended up staying instead of staying with them for one year for high school. I lived with them for two more years once I got into college and then continued coming over there for meals and doing my laundry. Their two little daughters were five and seven when I first uh, went to stay with them. And um, I do consider them my sisters and they were bridesmaids in my wedding. Uh, My parents and their parents got along great together and actually visited each other without either one of us. So it was just an amazing experience. But I, yeah, I, I, for some reason, just ended up staying. I um, ended up going to college down in Texas as well, and then graduate school in Colorado. And then I got a job in California. And that's where I met my husband who's British. So it wasn't really like a conscious decision to stay in the States. It was just one of those things where I don't think I'm very good at like making decisions. So when opportunities present themselves, I just kind of go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll do this then. So it was like after college, I didn't really know what to do. I had a physics degree and a bachelor in physics doesn't go too much. So you pretty much have to go to graduate school. And so I was just kind of like, all right, well, I guess that's the next step. And then, oh, I guess, you know, I'll apply for some jobs. Oh, here's one in California. Let's let's do that one. But you are putting that physics uh, degree to, to use right now, right? Yeah, I teach at a community college um, and teach um, three different it's all introductionary physics, but there's three different levels depending on uh, who's taking the classes. So 
whether you're taking physics for you know a, a humanity or art degree uh, or if you're taking it for a sort of a bioscience or if you're really going into engineering and physics you take different levels of physics based on uh, which math you use to solve the problems and so um, we have a really strong engineering program where I teach or pre-engineering program where I teach you can take the first two years of all your engineering classes and so that means that the math and the sciences are also very strong in terms of supporting that engineering program. So it's, it's a really fun place to teach. A lot of times when people figure out that I write books, they assume that I teach English. And so they get surprised when they hear that I teach a science. When they find out that you're a physics professor, I would think that they would immediately assume that the books you write are science fiction. Yeah. 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 And in a way they kind of are, I mean, I, I guess paranormal romance uh, fits within the, you know, it's it's definitely like an offshoot of I think fantasy. Um, a lot of the the people that write in the paranormal romance genre really were huge sci-fi and fantasy fans growing up. I think I'm one of them as well. And there's actually uh, another offshoot that's kind of starting now that's merging fantasy and romance, where it's either called romantic fantasy if it's on the fantasy side, or fantasy romance if it's on the romance side. And there's some really interesting projects popping up in that. Yours is paranormal romance. Mine, or, mine right? is marketed as paranormal romance. Yeah. But that's a that's kind of shoehorning it into a category. It's a little broader than that. It it, it would seem to me anyway. I mean, it's it fits in huge, the category, but it's bigger than the category. I guess. Yeah. Is what it's, I'm saying. And, it, and the category is huge because it basically fits any romance that has supernatural or unbelievable elements. So it goes from anything from like. People that might be, you might have characters that are psychic and can talk to ghosts, to magical realism, to full-fledged vampires and werewolf shifters kind of thing. So my immortal Vikings, uh, you know, fit into the, I guess, with the immortal Mm -hmm. uh, paranormal creatures. But yeah, it's a huge, huge, huge category. And I think the superfans divided into smaller categories, depending on what your catnip is in terms of what you like. Your books have kind of a mythological component to them and, and maybe right. even a little bit of a historical. I know you're a big history buff and a, a particularly uh, Scandinavian history. But if you were going to describe your, your books to someone who had never heard of them, uh, how would you do that? So it's uh, very much based on Norse mythology. And uh, I've tweaked it a little bit in my world building to where what it comes back to is that um, I have these these guys that died thousands of years ago and went to Valhalla, as you do when you're a Viking, and both men and women warriors in my book goes to Valhalla. Um, it's just the women get trained by Freya and the men get trained by Odin. And the contemporary world is being threatened by Loki and some of his minions. And so Odin and Freya sends immortal Vikings back to the Midgord, the Earth realm, to protect humanity against Loki and his evil schemes. So these immortal warriors are kind of living under the radar here in contemporary world uh, and, of course, end up, you know, meeting humans and falling in love and doing battles, uh, running around and having shenanigans. Um, So that's pretty much the series. It's immortal Vikings protecting humanity. Now, your protagonist is a pretty multifaceted, multi-talented heroine. Oh, in the first book, yes. In the first book, right? Yeah. Uh, her and her brother were kidnapped when they were little. Um, and part of the arc in the book is figuring out like why they were kidnapped. But they were taken to this sort of rogue government lab that was trying to create super soldiers by genetic manipulation. And so they were pumped full of drugs and training. And the stuff that they were receiving turned her into super soldier, but completely fried her brother's central nervous system. So she's trying to find a cure for her brother. She's she's rescued her brother and she's trying to find a cure for her brother. And she's a cybersecurity hacker sort of expert. And so she does these slightly shady business deals, making lots of money in order to fund her brother's uh, private clinic where they're trying to cure him, basically. She's also a bit of an ass kicker, though. I mean, yeah, she she saves the hero's ass. That's how they meet. He's He's been drugged and his buddy is getting basically getting uh, beat up. But the reason that he gets beat up is because he's trying to protect her because she steps into it and she's human. So he's trying to shield her and ends up in a in a bad situation. And then she's the one that um, gets him out of that situation and ends up, you know, getting 
drawn into this world of immortal Vikings. So they kind of stumble into each other's adventure, you could say. Yeah, yeah. And that's Viking Warrior Rising, right? Yep, that's the first book, yeah. And uh, the second title? The second title is uh, Viking Warrior Rebel. And um, so the series is kind of an ensemble cast. You you meet pretty much everybody in that first book, but the characters that are the main characters in the second book were secondary characters in the first book. And then Naya and Leif, that you were the primary characters in the first book, they're still in the other books kind of in the background. So So you can read them in any order. You don't have to read them in the order of the series. They stand on their own, but... Um, in terms of like how you're getting introduced to the world and the characters, you get a little bit more out of it if you read them in order, of course. But each that's one of the definitions of paranormal romance is that each book has a complete romantic arc. Mm-hmm. So so a couple meets, goes through challenges and gets there happily ever after in it at the end of the book. Damn rules. Rules. Yeah. Ah, I hate rules. Don't think of those rules. They're like promises, right? Like <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> if you if your readers pick up a particular genre and you don't right. deliver on the promise, they're gonna hate you. That's so, that's very true. Yeah. Last time we talked, the third one was still uh, up for grabs on the title. Has that been solidified yet? No, uh, it's uh, it's at my publishers, and uh, we don't have a title. Uh, I think that the preliminary uh, release date is going to be fall 2019, um, but that's all I've gotten from them so far. So far, okay. so and are, I'll probably are... do a novella in between. I'll do like a 2.5 novella because there's been a bit of a gap between the second and the third book. So a few months before the third book comes out, um, like four or five months before, I probably release a novella in that world. Now, there's plenty of action elements in this series, correct? Yeah. I like uh, writing fight scenes. <laughs> you, write, you write fight scenes well. Um, Thank you. And, and cuts coming from somebody who's read a lot of fight scenes and who writes fight scenes, and I, I think you write them really yeah, well. Yeah, that means a lot coming from you. Uh, would you say there's some mystery? I mean, uh, I know they're not mystery novels, but is, is you know it sounds like there's uh, uh, some mystery elements to them. Yeah, there's definitely some suspense. Like, you know, what are what are the bad guys up to and what's at stake and why like why are they doing what they're doing? Uh what's their motivation for what they're doing that that sort of adds to the suspense element. So I, that's got to be your uh your love of crime fiction and your yeah. Swedish <laughs> cultural crime fiction addiction seeping in probably a little bit. I I notice that though when I when I read as well that I do um, I read really widely in, in not just in romance. I mean, in romance, I read just about everything from historical to contemporary to paranormal. Um, but I read outside of romance as well in terms of thrillers and mysteries and uh, women's fiction and literary fiction and then nonfiction as well. I just read a lot. But I noticed that the books that I really, really enjoy are the books that have very high stakes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the the, the way to almost naturally create high stakes is, uh, you know, adding suspense and action where the world is being threatened as opposed to, I don't know, your family inheritance or something. Um, So not that I don't enjoy those books as well. I just notice that I get really into sort of the, the emotional roller coaster of huge Mm -hmm. stakes. Yeah. I always felt that if, if you could get the reader to care about your character. Yeah. and then it was a, it was high stakes to that character. I mean, even if it was whether there was going to be any ice cream at the store when they go shopping, um, obviously that's not huge stakes, but those could still feel like high stakes if you're really invested in the character. Uh, obviously, I'm being ridiculous with that, but no, I think I'm that's going. true. I, and I think actually some of the uh, crime writers that I really like, um, I've noticed that a few of them like got started in romance, and in romance, one of the huh. big promises you give to your readers is um, the emotional connection between the characters and the emotional connector connection between your reader and the character needs to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're emotionally connected to your character, then you can make the stakes smaller, but if it's a big deal to the character, then they feel like really big stakes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's true. I think you're definitely touching on something big there where if you get your reader emotionally connected to your character, then, uh, they're going to follow you no matter what you make that character go through, whether it's big challenges or small challenges. There's something to be said for saving the world, though, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I just um, There's a, a male romance writer named Damon Swade who said one time that like thrillers and 
and uh, romance are the two big selling genres. They, they outsell all the other popular fiction. And one of his theories was that he thinks it's because like mysteries and thrillers are the fiction of justice and romance is the fiction of hope. But both of those have, you know, incredible emotional connections. And in my mind, that might be why, why those two genres sell so well is because you do get to go on this emotional journey with your characters. Mm-hmm. And both of them have satisfying endings. I mean, you, mm-hmm. like with romance, you have a happily ever after or at least a happily mm-hmm. for now. And maybe you won't have happily ever after for your character in, you know, you may protagonist in the mystery, but you do know that the, the suspense, the thriller, the mystery, you know that the mystery is going to be solved, you know, right. that right. there will be a reckoning at the end. That is a promise in, in, in the mystery, much like the happy yeah. ending in, in romance. I, yeah. I agree because there are plenty of satisfying mysteries that don't necessarily have happy endings, but you, I mean, Chinatown doesn't have a happy ending, right. that's satisfying, no. you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so a fair warning to anybody who decides to pick up uh, an awesome Marie Bradley uh, Viking warrior series book. Uh, lots of action, mystery and suspense. Also a little saucy. Yeah, they're definitely sexy. There's, there's uh, in, in romance, we sort of grade the hotness of the book from like sweet to smoldering oh, sort of yeah. erotica. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, mine are definitely on the, not, necessarily for romance fans not on the explicit side but it's definitely on the hot side the sexy saucy side yeah you'd have to have a good relationship with your parents if you were going to read certain <laughs> sections to them i think okay. uh, yeah so imagine the, how it felt when my mom read the book <laughs> <laughs> well your mom was pretty cool so i think yeah <laughs> All right, we'll return to our interview with Awesome Marie Bradley shortly. Uh, But now is the time on the show when I like to uh, pass along a few book recommendations. Normally, I get these from the experts. And by experts, I mean uh, folks who work at the bookstores, own bookstores, particularly the independent bookstores that feature crime fiction, especially. Uh, But um, in September, I went to BoucherCon, which is the largest mystery conference that there is and it was down in tampa florida i was fortunate enough to meet a lot of great writers and readers uh, and to sit down with uh, my publisher um, eric campbell and the folks at down and out books it was a really great experience and i used the time to uh, tap a few of the conference attendees for what books they would recommend and so for this episode of wrong place right crime those are your resident experts here they are Hi, I'm John Shepard, uh, author of Bottom Feeders, uh, and uh, I want to recommend Megan Abbott's Give Me Your Hand, which is an incredible uh, incredible novel, and uh, she's the uh, well-deserved uh, queen of noir. Uh, Megan Abbott's Give Me Your Hand, a, a great read. Hi, I'm Dana King, author of the Penn's River series and the Nick Forte series of PI novels. I'd like, a, re, like to recommend The Fairfax Incident by Terrence McCauley. It's a great historical piece of fiction. will make you think you're watching a black and white film from back during the Depression. I'm Gretchen Beatner. I'm here at BoucherCon, and I'm just a giant reader instead of a writer. And I'm recommending Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz, which is up for an Anthony Award this year. So it's a really interesting book, so it's kind of a book within a book. An author wrote a book, so part of it is that, and then that author winds up dead. So there's a mystery, did he commit suicide, was it murder? And so it was a mystery wrapped around a mystery. It was a great read. Hi, I'm Trey Borker, author of the Jay Salome series. What you need to read right now is Dark Town by Thomas Mullen, the story of the first African-Americans in the Atlanta Police Department set in 1948. I promise you, I promise you, you will love it. One of the best books I've ever read. Good morning, it's Dan and Kate Melman uh, from Crime Spree Magazine and Writer Types Podcast. And I would like to recommend the book Lightwood by Steph Post. It's a fantastic romp through rural Florida 
she intertwines three fantastic storylines and it ends in fire because that's the only way it could end. So far uh, for 2018, my book of the year is Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Uh, just a, a very taut psychological suspense piece that absolutely had me uh, hanging from page to page. And that's been my high watermark for the rest of the year that I'm comparing to everything else to. Thanks for having us. Well, there you have it, folks. Some uh, smart people making some good recommendations. I hope you check some of those books out. And now let's get back to our interview with Awesome Marie Bradley. For Viking Warrior series here, you uh, you went with a uh, traditional route to publication, right? You got an agent. Your agent sold the manuscript to a traditional publisher. Kind of like that, but not really, because what had happened was um, the publisher picked it out of the slush pile. I had submitted to a publisher where you didn't need an agent. Oh. Uh, so I was hunting for editors and publisher, uh, sorry, editors and agents at the same time. Um, I was doing a lot of pitching at conferences. And um, this particular editor I had not pitched to, I had just submitted through their submission system. And um, she picked it out of the slush pile, read it and liked it. But, um, you know, there were as with all new writers, there were lots of problems with it. So she gave me, she sent me what's called a, uh, an invitation to revise and resubmit. And so I got a long letter that was about two pages long about, you know, some, some of the problems she saw with the manuscript. The letter was not, you know, here's how to fix it. The letter was, here are problems. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so it was sort of like I had to figure out how to fix them. So, mm-hmm. so I, I did that and sent it back to her. And then around the same time, that manuscript ended up being a finalist in the Golden Heart Contest, which is a big national contest that Romance Writers of America puts on that is for unpublished uh, writers. And Mm -hmm. um, you get a lot of attention and buzz when that happens. So when that happened and I had resubmitted to the editor, I then contacted other editors that were currently reading the manuscript and contacting the agents that were currently reading the manuscript. And so the, the offers kind of came at the same time. I was basically saying, Hey, uh, you know, this is up for a golden heart. Have you had a chance to read it? And if they hadn't, then they usually read it. So I kind of like floated to the top of the, the to-do list for other people as well. And that's, so I ended up getting the agent and the editor at the same time. Uh, speaking of awards, did you win the golden heart? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I was a finalist in my category. I think there were four of us, um, mm-hmm. but uh, no. But at that point, when I went to the conference, which is where the Golden Heart ceremony is, at that mm-hmm. point, I had already signed my contract with both my agent and editor. So I, I felt like a winner anyway. The best part of the Golden Heart contest is that in, this was in 2014, and all the finalists in all the different categories, all of those women uh, are still like my support network. We have a... Mm-hmm sort of a, a loop where we talk every week and we report in and they've just been this wealth of information um, because you get this huge, like these really serious writers that are all about at the same point in their career and craft-wise writing about the same level. And then this is where, you know, most of their careers take off. And people went with different publishers and people went different publishing paths. Um, and it's just been a, an amazing sisterhood to go to for support, encouragement, and advice. So that's really, I think everybody that ends up being a finalist in the Golden Heart Contest ends up, you know, being a winner just because of that sisterhood. But it's not the only award you were nominated for uh, as a result of uh, Viking Warrior Rising. Yeah, that that manuscript then went on to, uh, once it was published, it was a double finalist in what's called the Rita Award, which is the huge, also from Romance Writers of America, um, which is a huge is a huge contest for published writers. Um, and so that was a huge honor because it's a peer contest. So the people that read your book were other authors. And then everybody reads the manuscript, with, uh, whether you're a writer, author, or published or not published. And then uh, the finalists are chosen out of that. And then the people that read the finalists are like established authors in that genre. Um, so I was a double finalist for best paranormal and also for best first book. And what was really fun was that the best first book category I shared with three other of those Golden Heart sisters. Oh, wow. Uh, 
yeah, so we were all we were up for best first book, and then uh, one other person was also up in her category. I think so. That was amazing. And uh, out of the four of us, I didn't win, but two of the sisters won. So that was really cool. That is cool. Um, and you're still in touch with all those folks. They, yep. They're yep. still tight with you. Yeah, and we, we have reunions every conference. It's also another oh. <laughs> reason about going to the conferences is we get together and have dinner together and check in with each other. I, I've been amazed at how many how many of like my you know idols that I sort of fangirl over are um, just willing to like reach down and bring people up with them as they go up the ladder as opposed to you know stepping on people kind of thing. I I think what's amazing too is the like one of my favorite moments at RWA was I went to a writer who I love because there's there's um, the publisher sponsors these book signings where the conference attendees goes to the signings and you basically just get free books. So I went to one of my favorite authors and like made a complete fool out of myself and, you know, fangirled all over her and was doing the whole like, I want to have your baby kind of thing. And then I went to, <laughs> which, which is, which is indicative of the fact that uh, some drinking does occur. At these yeah. So this was in the morning though. So we were, we were good, but none, nonetheless, <laughs> but then, you know, like 30 minutes later, I was at another publisher book setting. I was standing behind her in line uh, to another writer and she was doing exactly the same thing to that oh, writer, really? you know? So it's like, yeah, you just, you just fangirl. I think people are just passionate about books. Cause I noticed uh-huh. that. Once you get readers together, we start talking about books. We don't talk about like, you should read my book or I should read your book. We talk about the books that we really love. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to touch on, you know, Viking Warrior series is your flagship series. It's it's what you're best known for. It's also the only thing I have out at the moment. Everything else is like future projects. So, um, yeah. Well, let's talk about those a little bit. Uh, I understand that you're working on an anthology uh, that, has other mythical creatures in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm working with, uh, this is a really interesting project. We, led by um, Philippa Ballantyne, who writes um, science fiction. I would say she writes fantasy. She has, uh, she writes some really cool YA steampunk fantasy. Um, oh, wow. And then she also co-authors with her um, husband. Um, they have a series called uh, Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, I think. I might. That's a cool title. Yeah. So she... Uh, put together this group of people. So we're three fantasy writers and three romance writers who are big fantasy uh, fans. And uh, we're writing uh, a series of, uh, we we call them mermaid shifters. um, And they're called the Sea King's Daughters. And so each person is writing a different sister, a different siren. And um, my book comes out in November and that would be the last one. So right now, Three books are out, and the fourth one that Katie, no, Katie Robert wrote the third one, and Piper J. Drake is uh, about to release the fourth one, I think, coming this week, maybe, maybe Monday or Tuesday this week. It's coming out soon. And so that's been really fun because we, we kind of we started out with the idea, but then we created the World Bible together through uh, basically creating a Facebook group, and then we built the world, and each picture sister, and figured out like what's going on, what are the stakes and all of that stuff. And that's been really fun just to create a collaborative. We each write our own book, but trying to figure out the the rules of the world together was fun. And uh, you've got the hammer. You're bringing it home with the last uh, yeah. the sixth in the book. Yeah. What's the title of your uh, of Mine your... called Siren Storm. Um, and uh, it takes place in um, uh, Lake, on Lake Ponderay, sort of in the Sandpoint, oh. Idaho, Hope area. And so local flavor. Yeah. So that's been really fun too. And, and my sister is the only one that's um, in a lake. The other ones are ocean based. And so mm. that's been interesting. Yeah. Coming out in November. Yep. Now that, that sounds like there's a lot of coordination going on there yeah. prior, prior to when you wrote it, you know, in the world building. Uh, but you have another project. Sounds like to me, anyway, that probably required a, a little more coordination even during the writing process. Do you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah. So the project I'm working on after that is um, with um, uh, another paranormal romance writer. Her name is Sarah Humphreys, and she's amazing. She she writes two different series. She writes uh, both sort of vampires um, and uh, demons, and then she also has um, like a shifter series where or her humans shift into different creatures is what I should say. 
Um, and she has been an amazing uh, mentor to me. She writes for the same publisher that I do uh, and is a very established writer. And she invited me to work with her on an independent project where we're writing an urban fantasy, which is basically like our, we have two sisters who are uh, based in Bliss, Idaho, just outside of uh, Craters of the Moon National Park or Monument. And they're basically kind of paranormal uh, bounty hunters slash weapon dealers. So my mm. sister is the geeky person who doesn't really have any abilities of her own, but she can funnel other people's magic and abilities into weapons. And then Sarah's sister is the kick-ass, um, you know, agent who goes out and like hunts down rogue paranormals or solve mystery or whatever people need done. And that has been really fun because in that world, we're writing separate novellas, but we're releasing them on the same day. Um, and so the timelines are parallel. So that's been a, a really fun project as well. Yeah. Was there a lot of coordination that you had to do to make sure you didn't, uh, that the parallel nature of it remained intact? Um, what we did was for the first novella, um, so this all started at a conference, <laughs> as things usually do. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. We, I think we were in... Um, like the concierge lounge or something and uh, at having snacks. Uh, and I don't know how we'd gotten in there. I don't think either one of us had access to it, but that's where we were and uh, drinking wine. And uh, it started on a napkin. Uh, like Sarah was like, I, I want to do something fun with other authors. What do you think about this? And, uh, and then we just were like, and then, and then what if, and it could be this and mm -hmm. it could be that. And mm -hmm. so it started that way. And then we had lots of phone conversations building the world and, um, coming up with the backstory of these two sisters. They're not actually sisters by blood. They're sisters by uh, their foster sisters together. So that was took a lot of coordination. And then what we did was the first book starts out together. So one of the things we do is the opening scene and the ending scene is the same scene in both books, but one is from uh, mm -hmm. my sister's perspective and the other one is, of course, from Sarah's sister's perspective. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's a cool idea. But in this particular book, there, uh, Sarah is Sarah's sister is off on a adventure, and so the stakes for my sister is that um, she has to uh, man the shop on her own, which she's the geeky introvert and is not comfortable with this at all. And then mm. you know, disaster happens, and she has to deal with it, and she doesn't want to bug her sister about it because this is the first time her sister has had any time off in forever. But Sarah's sister is off supposedly at a wedding. But then, you know, horrible things happen at the wedding. She has to hunt down some demons. So um, so they're they're kind of separate adventures in this first book. And then we're putting the story together again. From what happens in that first book, now the sisters are at odds in the second book. Or there's, their stakes are, their conflicts are at conflict with each other. And so they're, they kind of drift apart a little bit. Um, but then they'll be in the same place at the same time. So then that's going to be interesting to write that second book. Well, even though this is, you know, clearly paranormal, it's clearly, you know, with you talking about demons and and all these things, it it sounds like a person who normally reads crime fiction would would enjoy it as long as they could, you know, handle the fact that there's paranormal stuff in it. Right, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. This this these projects, both the mermaid shifters and the the weapon stealer shifters, they're they're urban fantasy. So, um, so they're not necessarily as, mm -hmm. they're not as established in the romance. Like we, we don't promise there's some romance in it, but it's not, uh, like the happily ever after. Maybe you don't get the romance arc quite the same in just one book. You might have to wait a couple of novellas before that happens. So there's romantic interest, but it's definitely much more like kick-ass crime fighting with paranormal elements than a, than a regular ro romance is. Yeah, I had uh, Kat Richardson on uh, oh, yeah. the last episode, and her Greywalker series, uh, I think, is in that same vein. I love that series, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so then uh, there's one other project I thought we might tease a little bit. because Ooh, Super uh, Secret Project. Uh, uh, yeah, it's super secret for a couple more weeks anyway. Uh, but uh, I'm thrilled to say that uh, you and I are going to get to work together on yeah. a project that's called A Grifter's Song that we'll be announcing the the details of uh, on or about October 1st. But uh, 
But, you know, I think we can sneak out a few details here for those uh, few score listeners that are ponying up their, their, their podcast time. It, it is a kind of a novella anthology series, I think would be a fair way to describe it. And you'll be in the second batch of six. Right. Uh, that'll be out in 2020. And uh, it's about a couple of grifters uh, who are very devoted to each other and not much outside that bubble. And I'm excited to work with you on this for two reasons. Uh, actually, for three. Uh, one is that you're a great writer. And uh, uh, two is that we're friends and it's cool to work with your friends. But from a mercenary standpoint, I also really like the element that you might be able to bring to to the anthology series. Maybe a little bit more um, of, of a romantic uh, element to it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited to be working with you on a project. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll see how much sex you let me put in there. But <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I have been editing the first six that'll be out January to June of 2019. And I have been a, a little heavy handed about the sex only in the sense that that I, I want it to be organic and to have a purpose, not just be there to titillate. Oh, right, have, yeah. uh, so why are they doing this? What's the importance of it? What's the emotional uh, resonance of it? What's it, you know, and so forth. And then, and I have zero doubt that that's how you'll present it. Having, having seen you do it in action already. So be as saucy as you want. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And um, one of the other writers is a, a friend who um, I went to school with. Uh, I went back to school and got an MFA in creative writing. We were having really fun with it because, can I say who the characters are? Sure. Sam, Sam and Rachel, two of our teachers at Eastern Washington University, two of our teachers, one was named Sam and one was named Rachel. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Scott, who the other writer is, Scott Eubanks, who's a really good writer. His uh, wife is also named Rachel. So, oh, that's funny. Yeah, so Scott and Rachel, Sam and Rachel, it's uh, fun. <laughs> Well, the project is kind of neat from the standpoint that it 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 is bringing together, especially in the second season, a, a pretty eclectic variety of writers, and that I think there's going to be some real nice variance in terms of how people approach the story, how people use the characters, and and uh, of course what kind of uh, plot that they that they decide to to manufacture. So, uh, so I'm super excited that you're going to be part of it. Yeah, I was too. really glad I'm, you said yes. I'm going to be excited to, uh, it's going to be fun to read the first season too. I think, I think that because of the way that you set up the, you know, the characters are fascinating. First of all, that just who doesn't want to write about grifters. That's amazing. Uh, but also that how you, how you shape the parameters um, in the world so that each writer can still you know, add their own voice and their own take on the story, sort of. Um, it's, it's just a really cool idea. I'm, I'm super excited about it. It's going to be fun. When I first moved to Spokane, I was in a writer's group where I had written, I think I'd written a, it was more a women's fiction story. And I, it was set in the Bay Area. And in that story, I had a police officer that was one of the characters. And uh, he drove a Prius. And the reason I had put him into driving a Prius, yeah, so this is like, you're going to laugh about this, but the reason I put him into driving a Prius was because a lot of city workers uh -huh. uh, at the time were getting huge discounts for buying hybrid vehicles. And so uh, actually a lot of people that were working for the city, including tops, cops, male and female, were driving Priuses in, in the Bay Area. But... Here, one of my writing partners here, who was very much a guy's guy, he was like, no, no, you can't have that. Like, you know, he has to have a pickup truck or he has to have this. And I was like, why can't he drive a Prius? And he's like, well, you know, outside of California, if you want anybody to believe that this cop is driving a Prius, it's not going to work. And so <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting. Like yeah. even location wise, you have a different take on, you know, what your, yeah. what your character can and cannot do. Well, culture is huge. I mean, and subculture, yeah. and I mean, I you had to have experienced that. I mean, Texas to Colorado to the Bay Area to Spokane, Washington, th those are all culturally very different. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think, well, and in, in, especially in California, where there's a huge international population too, mm -hmm. so you you get a big mash of you know, working in the IT industry. I, I the majority of my coworkers were were non-Americans, which was always really interesting and. 
uh, brought so much diversity and great ideas to the table, which is why I think that, you know, the IT industry is as innovative as it, as it is. But yeah, and in, in Texas, it was, it was very interesting for me. I, I definitely felt like a cultural anthropologist when I was first there. <laughs> it was just trying to figure things out. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was very different. And I think also who I was at the different stages in my life, like who you are as a college student is different than who you are as a graduate student is different from who you are when you have your you know, first real job. And so that also... Uh, contributed to how I experienced the different states that I was that I was living in. When I first moved to Spokane, um, I had to ask what spendy means, and I still don't understand why the color is lilac and not lilac. So. <laughs> I don't know either, and I grew up there, so yeah. <laughs> spendy meaning pricey, meaning yeah, a little bit yeah. Fancy, yeah. I'd never heard yeah. that before. Yeah. So we we talked about your uh, anthology projects that are coming up. Are there going to be any more Viking Warrior books or is number three going to sew things up? Number three finishes this contract that I currently have with my publisher. We'll see if they keep want to keep on working with me and whether or not that's going to be another Viking project or something else that depends on how they see the market. Um, I think I'll probably return to the Viking world. There's at least two other characters that needs their books, I think. So Either way, I think that um, at some point we'll have at least two more Viking books coming out. Well, I want you to write some historical crime fiction set in the Viking world. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm really bad about the historical part, though, because I... You can make I'm, shit up. Nobody knows. It's nobody all speculation. Knows. It's not like there was a Wikipedia online back then. You know? No, but there's some there's some amazing writers that write historical Viking romance. And um, like Gina Conkle, who's a good friend, is, is one of them. And she is like Viking history Wikipedia. She's just amazing. So I've always been fascinated by the Norse mythology. And of course, that means that, you know, some of the history uh, fits in. But like... Gina knows not like just not which Viking king it was that sailed up the coast at one particular time. She knows like what inlet they ended up going into <laughs> fjord and what happened there. It's just amazing. So well, I don't. I, I want you to delve into the crime fiction part of it, right? All oh, right. A, more of a mystery, you know, like in the village, or you know, they go on a raid, and I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just I'm just spitballing, but I think you'd be fantastic at. Does it, it have so. to be historical? Can I do like a you know yeah, a no. crime? I'm seen at a historical, yeah. archaeological site. Contemporary. Honestly, you can do whatever you like. I think that sounds it, good. It, I just want more Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm really grateful that you came on the show. Uh, the thank uh, you so much for having me. This is this is always fun to talk to you. And we got to do it twice, actually. What the listeners don't know is we recorded an entire show uh, in your living room, and yeah, and the sounded like we were. Uh, sitting in two restroom stalls talking over the top of the wall. <laughs> so I had to ask you to do it again, and you were gracious enough to do it. So thank you. Well, I think maybe this might have turned out better because if I remember correctly, that was after dinner with a lot of wine. So this might be more coherent for the week. <laughs> might Hopefully. be more coherent. It might be less entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Asa. I look forward to working with you in the coming year. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. It's a great show. I enjoy the episodes and I'm really looking forward to working with you. Well, that was a lot of fun for me personally. Asa is a good friend of mine and we always, uh, I always really enjoy conversations with her. Uh, she's a fascinating person and a great conversationalist. If you are on the fence about whether or not to try uh, her Viking Warrior Rising book or, or that entire series, uh, I would say if you if you like crime fiction for action, uh, then, then you like that series. Next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to be talking with Eric Pruitt, uh, an interesting guy in his own right. And uh, we caught up with him for some uh, flash questions. Eric Pruitt, what city do you live in now? Durham, North, North Carolina. Carolina. Who is your favorite writer? I'm a big fan of William Gay. Uh, your favorite movie? Reservoir Dogs. Favorite television show? Ooh, Ooh man, Sopranos was a good, good one. one. Do you have a nickname? Folks have started, started calling me Big Tex in Bashikon. Uh, I'm all right with that. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Um, we're finishing up a short film that I wrote and directed called Going Down Slow, and I have a novel in progress currently. What hobby do you have 
that has nothing to do with writing. And grow mounds, tomatoes, grow mounds, peppers, make mounds, sauces. What's your favorite sport? Baseball. Your favorite musician? Lightning Hopkins. Your five-second advice to aspiring writers? Surround yourself with good people, not poopy people. <laughs> Where would you like to go that you've never been? Deadwood, South Dakota. What's your favorite quote? When Elmore Leonard said to leave out the bits that other people tend to skip. All right. All right, there you go. Uh, everything that you can learn about Eric Pruitt in about one minute. Uh, we'll spend uh, considerably more time with him next episode. Uh, just a quick update for you on uh, some of my own uh, work. Uh, my fifth River City novel called The Menace of the Years is uh, finally coming out. It'll be out on the 18th of September. Uh, it's been a long time coming. The fourth book came out in 2011, and it's uh, taken a long while for me to... Uh, find my way back to River City. If that's of interest to you, please check it out. Uh, number six and number seven will both come out in 2019. Uh, Down and Out Books is also putting out uh, the Anya series, and the third book in that series, Closing the Circle, comes out on uh, October 1st. I wrote those books with Jim Welsky, fantastic short story author. And, and uh, then, as Austin and I alluded to, there's going to be a, uh, an announcement on October 1st regarding a grifter's song. And I'll let that speak for itself, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that project. Anyway, thanks for indulging me. I usually don't get into uh, my own work much on the show. I'd like to say a big thank you to uh, Eric Campbell and Down Out Books for sponsoring the show and to all my new friends at BoucherCon, including those who uh, were kind enough to give me a book recommendation for this episode. Uh, and especially uh, a thank you to Asa Marie Bradley, who's a super person. And thank you, Asa, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, and lastly, thanks to you folks who are still listening after the hiatus. I appreciate it. I've got a great season lined up with some uh, really great guests. And uh, thanks for the support. I really appreciate it. Well, that's all for this episode. Uh, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you, sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.